Hey, everybody, we're going to start the podcast in just a second, but I wanted to give you a heads up that our conversation got long today because we were having a good time talking about it. And so in the description of this podcast, wherever you're listening, there is links or, or really just time descriptions to let you know where your number starts. If you want to just skip ahead to your number, we'd encourage you to listen to all of it. But if you want to skip ahead to your number because you don't have an hour to listen to a podcast, you can see the time in there and skip ahead to, to listen to your number. Hey, everybody. This is Andrea Isaacs, and I am hanging out with the adorable Mr. Jason Isaacs. Say hey. Handsome. Not adorable is too, too childish. Oh, okay. Hey, everybody. This is Andrea Isaacs. No, I was joking oh. with you. <laughs> you didn't have to start over. Regardless, it's the Isaacs, and we are excited to be back again for our third week talking about the Enneagram and how it can help us break cycles Listen, if you have not had a chance to check out the other two episodes, I would really encourage you to go back and revisit those. Um, and the first week, we just looked at an overview of each of the Enneagram types, all nine numbers. And then last week, we had a chance to see how exactly the Enneagram can impact or help us recognize the emotions, the feelings that we are wrestling with that we may or may not even be aware of. And today, we are going to be talking all about motivation. Well, before we jump into motivation for a second, Andrea, the number one feedback that I'm getting and you're getting from people is, you know, what's my number? Or I took a test and it said I was this, but I think I'm this. Or um, you've been posting every day on social media, you know, different kind of descriptions of numbers and people will say, oh, that sounds like me, but the test said I was this. And I know you've talked about it before, but why don't you just one more time, if somebody is listening or they're just now discovering the Enneagram and they would say like, Either I don't know what my number is, or I took a test, but I don't think that's the right answer. What do you say to that? It's pretty widely encouraged in the Enneagram community for people to wrestle with what their type is, as opposed to just kind of relying on a niche, you know, quiz or kind of a, a, a quick hit assessment. Um, and so that is, I am very much in that camp of advocating that you personally get to type yourself. The quizzes that are out there, some of them are great and they can get you going in a particular direction. But at the end of the day, they're just subjective and, and, and kind of tough to nail down exactly where we fall. It's a much more accurate prediction for individuals to say, you know what, that really, really resonates with me. And you and I both know we've had lots of people, including your own Enneagram experience, yep. lots and lots of people who maybe start out in one arena uh, thinking I'm a nine or thinking I'm a six, but then through questioning, through researching, through kind of unpacking and, and peeling back the layers, really find out that they resonate with a different type. And I just want to encourage anybody listening, or maybe you've experienced that process, or maybe you're walking through that process now. Listen, please hear me. Please hear me. That is a part of the Enneagram journey. Yeah. You you don't have to start all over. You didn't mess anything up. You're not bipolar or dysfunctional because you didn't know your type early on. It is very, very common. In fact, I might even argue that a majority of people 
have to kind of work through that experience. Um, and, and that is all good. That is all okay. I, I heard someone explain it like this and I thought this was really helpful. It's like trying on an outfit. Um, you know, maybe you'll try on a, 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 a type eight for a little while and you're like, oh, this just, this isn't quite me. I feel like a little bit of an imposter. Okay, let's try on um, a three for a little while and let's see if that kind of resonates a little bit more strongly. That's a really good way to approach it. There's no right or wrong. You can't mess it up. It's part of the process. I think two reasons that it's difficult sometimes to find our number. Number one is because people tell us what we are before we research it ourselves. Sure. I know that was our story is that, you know, you read about the fours and said like, oh, you're totally a four because there were a lot of things in the four that resonated. Yep. But it, I'm actually a five. After I started diving in myself, I remember I came home one day to you and said, I'm totally a five. Like I, it, it like exploded in my brain. Like <laughs> I am a five with a four wing and we keep teasing that we'll talk about wings. We really will do that. But, and then I think the second reason that we struggle to identify our number is that either we don't want to be the number that we are. Yeah, that's huge. Because we don't, we only see the negative side of it. Yeah. Or we really want to be another number. Yeah. So, you know, if you're a six, you're like, well, I want to be a seven. Yeah. You know, or if you're a, you know, if you're a one and you don't like that, you say, well, I want to be a, I keep saying seven. I feel like everybody wants to be a seven, but I, I want to be a three. I want to, right. I want to be more productive. I want to, yeah. And so the Enneagram's not telling what's wrong with you and, and it's not even telling you what's right with you. It's just telling you, uh, helping you discover and identify uh, who you've always been and what's in there in health and in unhealth, in stress, uh, and in, and those types of things. So it's, if don't look at the Enneagram as, oh man, I feel like every time you uh, teach this or help people discover their number, or we've done this with our, our teams and staff, there's always, it's like, oh man, I don't want to be that. Yeah. Or you and think of it common. in the worst case. That's common. Most, most every type feels that way. Um, but here's, here's something else that I think is, is helpful. It is called the wisdom of the Enneagram for a reason. And I would say that that reason is there is just a lot of knowledge. This is not a hard science by any means. Um, it is for sure much more intuitive, much more kind of navigating um, and being being more self-aware. Um, but wisdom is a better way to, to really think of as an, in terms of an adjective for what is the purpose of the Enneagram? How am I? It, think of it as someone just saying, hey, let me give you some wisdom about you as a person. Yeah. Let me give you some wisdom. That I think kind of s- strips away maybe some of the intimidation factor or this whole like black and white crystal clear. When anybody offers us wisdom, we know to kind of take that. Let me process it a little bit. Let me see where that might fit. But you'll even hear people say like, Hey, listen, take this with a grain of salt, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like, like let this, you know, this is not a one size fits all. You got to kind of work, work through it. Um, and, and see, see what applies, but the wisdom of the Enneagram, I just think that's a really powerful way to think of it. Okay. So why don't you give us some wisdom? We've talked about, you know, kind of, uh, what are the numbers and what do they mean? And then we've talked about feelings and, uh, triads and all that stuff. And so, um, this last week in our sermon series that we've been doing called break the cycle, we talked about behavior and action. And so I know that with each Enneagram number and type, there seems to be, uh, an, a, a consistent pattern of behavior slash motivation slash desire, desire. Like you, it, it, 
almost kind of a predictable way that you either respond or are motivated or um, whatever it is. And so uh, this has been a game changer for me because it's almost like I can predict how I'm going to want to behave, feel. Um, I can kind of, it just provided more self-awareness for me. And we keep talking about nine different kind of normals. And so I think this is really going to help people. So why don't we um, start with one? We'll work through the numbers and let's talk about what motivates or the desire in each number, um, because I think it's really going to help some people. So starting with one, remind me again, what are the ones called? All right. So the ones are called the perfectionists or the reformers. And they are their core desire. So I'm going to interchangeably use the words motivation or desire. They're very similar, but essentially it's whether, whether we perceive it or not, there is something inside of us that is driving us um, to, to do the things that we do, behave the way that we behave, think the way that we think. And so often it's, it's so subconscious That's right. or, or we're blind to it. Sure. We don't even realize it until we start, somebody starts talking about the Enneagram. Starts unpacking it. Sure. So for a one, that core desire, that kind of basic motivation that is different from all of the other types is their desire to be right and this um, motivation to any they want to see things in black and white they have kind of a hard wiring for what is right and what is wrong and so all of their decisions their behaviors how they're moving and operating in the world is stemming from that core desire so they have a strong opinion about what is right. Not even necessarily knowledge, but they like... They would not even say it is an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> they would see it as black and white, true or false, like absolute. There's a right way to live. There's yes. a right way to get the job done. Yes. There's a right way to handle conflict. There's a right way to manage money. There's a right way to organize a closet. There's a right way, like... Absolutely. want to be right. So if you are a one and you're listening to this, you can, it is possible for you to predict that in that that most of the time you are going to be fighting for what is right whether you've realized it up to this point or not and you can prepare for those feelings or those motivations and i would say once a one really understands that as being their core motivation or their core desire they can then start to at least i think this would be a healthy practice they can start to relieve some of that pressure by saying I believe this is the right thing or the right way, but I am willing to accept and acknowledge that there are other right ways and that not everyone thinks and feels the way that I do. When I hear a one talk like that, you know that they've done some internal work. What about like if you're married to a one, your best friend's a one, you live in a house with a one, what are some things that you can be doing or be on the lookout for because you are around and care about someone who is so focused on being right. I love that question. I think, first of all, it is kind of starting with honoring and respecting that they, more than any other type, they do want things to be systematic, done a certain way, and that it probably will be beneficial to their lives and to our lives if we can kind of adapt to some of those systems or some of those patterns of behavior. But on the flip side, where you can maybe help them to grow or maybe help relieve some of that tension or pressure to do things the right way is to um, remind them that God has grace for them 
and that they can have grace for themselves and that because of that they can also have grace for other people that that while we can work to improve things like perfection is a really really tricky slippery kind of um almost you know impossible a one probably doesn't want to hear that but i would also say here this is really great too you have to help the ones in your life uh find places for spontaneity find places for fun find places for hey listen i know we worked hard for that but it's okay yeah we're okay just just modeling for them like that grace and that freedom that that's gonna bring them a little bit of relief we have good friends just as an example that has really used some of this discovery to really help their marriage the husband's a one and the wife is uh, an eight and because of kind of a you know, semi-traditional, whatever you want to call it, view of marriage. The husband was working, the wife was home. And so she was handling the bills and the laundry and all these things. Um, but he had an opinion about <laughs> the right way to do the bills, the right sure. way to do the laundry, the right way to get organized or whatever it is. But for years, because of kind of their setup in their home, she was handling it and she would be the first to admit like it was not going well. And it was actually the conversation like, hey, would you be willing or would you want to kind of take this on? And he was just waiting on her to ask Love because it. he'd been sitting over there in the corner going, there's a better way to do this. <laughs> there's a better way to do this. And when, even though he was taking more on his schedule and his plate and responsibility, it made him feel better to be able to do it, quote unquote, the right way and, you know, changed her dynamic as well. And so I think if you are, if you love a one, if you're married to a one, if you're around a one, uh, giving them the chance to use that superpower to improve things. That's great. Um, really helps them come alive. So let's talk about number number two. What's what's a two? Remind me again, what's a two? A two is going to be our helper. Okay. And their core motivation, what's driving them, their, their basic desire, their core desire is to be loved. Um, so the, the fact that they're always jumping in and caring for other people, helping other people, serving other people, it is stemming from this need to experience love themselves. So they are always working to nurture the relationships that are in front of them. And it is coming from, again, just this desire, this place of, you know, really needing to experience love themselves. So if you are married to a two, yes. best friend, love a two, live with a two, what what are some ways that you can... Um, you know, help them or make them feel loved or, you know, protect them, be on the lookout for them? They are not being pretentious when they are trying to help you. Mm -hmm. They, it's genuine. Mm -hmm. They are fulfilled in helping. And so I think it starts from let them help, let them love on you, let them, but don't take that for granted. Mm -hmm. Don't then expect it or, you know, kind of believe that that's the only thing that they're, um, good at and you have to appreciate and acknowledge what their efforts are in loving you and caring for you and as much as you are reciprocating that love that appreciation valuing them and and encouraging them and then also reminding them what are your needs how can I help you but I, I, I don't think that the answer is to say no I don't need your help no mm -hmm. you don't need to do that no, you don't like that in a lot of ways is actually very discouraging for them. If you can tap into a two's desire to connect with you or to connect with people, 
our experience has been that they will be some of the best teammates, helpers, friends, family members. They just want to be a part of the tribe. They want to be a part of the group. And so sometimes, like for me as a five, because I'm my, my stance is a little more withdrawn, sometimes, most of the time, unintentionally, I can miss out on the opportunity to include a two in something I'm doing, and they just want to go along for the ride. Like, it's not, I'm not over-exaggerating when I say, like, it would mean something to a two to say, I'm running to the store. You want to just hop in the car with me? They are looking they for that, that connection. They are looking for that relationship. And they feel so valued when you value them. Yeah. It just goes a really long way. Okay, so uh, that's ones and twos. Let's talk about threes. Threes are motivated to be validated by others. And what, remind me again, what's a three threes called? Threes are the achievers for okay. that very reason. They are wildly successful, um, just kind of at times can seem like they have no limits to how much they can accomplish or get done. But it is, they are, it's because they are motivated to have that affirmation from other people. They really are looking for people to say, wow, look at all that you did. Wow, you're amazing. You're so talented. How did you accomplish all of that? And so they, they, it, it, it manifests in everything. They really are aware of, like, of their appearance because they want their appearance to be a certain level of achievement, their education, their accomplishments, their progress, their, you know, it, it just kind of pans out in all of those ways. And they can absolutely help other types um, execute a big vision, a big dream. They are go-getters. They will tackle it. They're competitive. But that, all of that, the success, the, the, comp- the competition, the um, exterior you know, appearance, all of that, all of that stems from the core desire to be validated by other people. So if you're a three you can be on the lookout. Like there can be self-awareness in you that I am going to be inclined to possibly overdo it, overextend myself, try to do too much, try to um, over-accomplish in this instance. And and so you can be on the lookout for that, knowing that, I mean, in, even, even in smaller, silly examples, like knowing that when your friends get together and play a game, you, you may want to win a little too badly, or knowing that if you are on a group or a board that's making decisions, sometimes you can take charge or, or you know, want it too badly. So that kind of looking for health in that way. But then on the other side, you can know that like your superpower is the ability to achieve, to get it done. One of our best friends is, is a three and she's a machine. Yeah. I mean, she can get it done. And, and so one of the mistakes that I made for years is that I would always be trying to like pull her back. You're doing too much. Yeah. Uh, don't, why don't you just relax? Yeah. Just, you know, I was, I was trying to convince her to do nothing would be replenishing. Yeah. And that was the worst suggestion for her because she wants to achieve and to go. And so maybe speak to that just a little bit. If you're a three, you're married. I mean, if you're married to a three friend with a three, live with a three, what are some ways? So an actual productive way meaningful replenishing way to support them is to remind them that you value them for for just being them not because they won the award they got the promotion they 
um, you know, bought the the biggest house. Like it, when you can kind of pull some of that back and, and really love them, appreciate them, respect them, value them for, for just them, not for what they've done, not for what they've accomplished. I mean, that is just super, super powerful. I'm thinking about, I'm laughing because I'm thinking about uh, another really good friend of mine. Years ago, we were in this softball league and it was a church league and we had to pick two teams. We had too many players for one team. So we had to pick, uh, we had to split the team up into two teams. And me and my friend, who's a three, uh, were, were responsible for separating the teams. And so I suggested, hey, why don't we split it right down the middle and put an even number of play, good players on one team and an even number of bad players on one team? And he looked at me and said, I would rather quit than be on a team that can't win. Wow. And so actually we ended up like I took the all the bad players because oh I didn't care. Oh my goodness. And he took all the great players and they killed us every time. But like I had no idea about the Enneagram at that point. Sure. But I remember thinking like, why does he care so much? Yep. Why does he want to win so much? And yep. now knowing it's because achieving and winning is so important. And uh, I laugh thinking about it now. Yeah. But I think the other way to help threes in your life um, especially if you are married to a three or you have an, a very intimate kind of trusting relationship with a three, not just every three that you walk around with and that you know, but someone who re- you really, there is a trust there, is to hold them accountable with integrity. Yeah. You know, are they being honest and truthful? Um, don't let them cut corners. Yeah. Don't let them you know, for the sake of winning, for the sake of accomplishing, for the sake of, you know, being the most successful, do not let them kind of shortchange, you know, their integrity um, in, in order for that to happen. Just keep holding them, you know, kind of to the fire in that regard. I would, the last thing I would say to a three is, you know, you can't win at everything. That's right. Just decide what you want to win at. And every three said, oh yes, I can. Oh, I can. I'll show you that I can. <laughs> it's like, you can't win everywhere all the time. Right. Um, and if you try, you're not going to win in many places. So it's okay to win. It's okay to be a machine. It's okay to be in the zone. But like, what do you want to win at? Yeah. And then being okay with like not winning at everything. Yeah. Um, I think it's so important. So let's talk about fours. Um, we've done ones, twos, and threes. What's a four? A four, they're motivated to find significance in the world. And what's the, remind me the name of a four again? So a four is the romantic or the individualist. Um, they have a deep core desire to be special, to be unique, to be significant and authentic. And there is this kind of, honestly, mystical belief that they will some at some point achieve that, that they will accomplish the painting or write the song or publish the book that makes them so special, so profound, so whatever the case may be. And all of their decisions are being driven by that, um, by that that core desire to be unique. So a four can know, there can be self-awareness to know that like, I will never completely be satisfied. Yes. Because there's this little bit of fool's gold, and I've got a lot of four wing in me. There's this little bit of fool's gold that's like, okay, I know that the last 10 accomplishments or creations didn't fulfill me and didn't satisfy me and didn't make me feel complete, but this one will. This one will. I can't tell you how many domain names I've purchased over the years. <laughs> that's amazing. And it's like, 
And there's this excitement with the new domain purchase. And then there's also this feeling of absolute failure when that domain expires 12 months later. For sure. Because I never launched the website. Right. Or, you know, or whatever it is. And so I think you can really be self-aware that like, if I don't accomplish anything else in my life, like God still loves me. Amen. The people around me still love me. But I can be aware that like, yeah, this may be the greatest song ever written, the greatest book ever written, the greatest painting ever written, the greatest design interior ever designed. But that is not what's going to complete me because it's never worked up to this point and it's not going to work moving forward. And I think if you can go into your creative zone knowing that uh, I'm creating, but I'm not going to solve that kind of hole in my heart through my creation. Yeah. It frees you up to not feel so much pressure to be to, to to create the greatest thing ever. That's exactly right. And I think the belief that, you know, Christ found me significant enough to die for me. Yeah. I think the reminder that I am being the most godlike when I'm creating. Yeah. God I, God is being demonstrated through me as I create and as I find inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, just really like resting in that. We were, I was talking to a four the other day and I, cause the, you know, part of the Enneagram is the fact that God embodies all, all the numbers That's right. because we're all made in the image of God That's and right. we, we get nine different perspectives at the way God is. Of the character of God. And I was talking to a four the other day who was, you know, feeling a little down, like that they were disappointed in their number. You know, we talked about that and I said to them, I said, Hey, just a reminder, the first personality or the first type that God displayed was four yeah. creation. Yep. The first thing we see God do is create. Yeah. And uh, which, which was just a reminder. So if you are married to a four, best friends with a four, living with a four, loving a four, what are some ways that you can know that this is their motivation and, and help them and respond with that? I mean, I just think this answer is the most crucial for people's relationship with God, especially speaking to a four. You have to remind them that God is the only thing that will never disappoint uh-huh. because there is that sense of they have that envy, you know, peace working. And if you can just keep kind of reassuring and saying, Hey, listen, I know that you're feeling discouraged, but God is not going to let you down. Like uh-huh. you can find fulfillment in him. Um, I think that that's a great starting place. And then I think another honestly way to be really supportive is to not expect them to move on as quickly as you might want for them to, Uh that it has to be okay for them to be experiencing the range of emotions that they experience, you know, giving them, uh, even carving out time for them to be creative. Because their emotional depth is what, allows them to create such beauty. That's exactly right. And I know that most of the fours out there, even they struggle with the tension of that relationship. Like Mm -hmm. tortured artists really is, you know, a thing, even though a four wants to kind of throw off, you know, that stereotype. Um, But I, I think if you have, if you're married to a four, if you're in a close relationship with a four, you know, just kind of probing them like, hey, what are you working on? What are you creating? How can I help you with that? Do you need space, supplies, time, freedom, inspiration, you know, what, what do you need? And just letting them, um, kind of flesh that out. I would also say that if you, you know, friends married to, you know, in relationship with a four, one of the best things you can do, it sounds so simple, but it's true is ask them to create. That That's exactly right. They love to contribute through creating. So if you are connected to a four, 
you know, ask them to, uh, you know, redesign the living room. That's a terrible example. It's a great example. Ask them to, you know, write something up. If, if they're been in creativity towards writing or drawing or music or whatever, like, you know, ask them to create. They cannot not be aware of ambiance, mm-hmm. decor, the vibe, the feel. Like they're so intuitive mm-hmm. to all of that and how it impacts us as human beings. You for sure should let them put their hand to that. No, I, th- I think that's a great ex- example. The chances that if you've ever walked into a creative, eclectic, beautiful, inspiring space, it was probably designed by a four. Absolutely. Probably let it. Well, not a five, for sure. So let's move on <laughs> to fives. Uh, five. Let's talk about fives. So the fives are our observer. This is our, you know, critical thinker, investigator sometimes is, is what they're called. And their core desire is to have a solution, to have knowledge, to have the answer to whatever that topic is, that thing is that kind of just keeps you know, it's, it's like an itch that just needs to be scratched. Um, and so they are going to be a wealth of knowledge. They are, you don't ever have to convince a five to deep dive on a particular topic. Um, and that can, you know, look a lot of different ways. You know, some fives are super interested in the stock market and how finance works. Other fives might really be intrigued by understanding the components of, of how a computer comes together. I mean, it can, it can manifest a lot of different ways, but the core motivation is the same. They have this curiosity, this interest, and they want to know literally all of the things, but then they want to have the right answer, the right solution. They want to be the architect of, you know, something involving that topic. I would say the same way a four feels like they could create something that would complete them. A five feels like they can have this, um, this uh, euphoric moment of discovery or revelation that they think would somehow complete them or they could be smart enough to never have to be vulnerable or, you know, prepared enough to never, uh, be embarrassed or, or something like that. And we've talked on the podcast many times about how I'm a five. And I think this was a game changer for me is just this self-awareness that if any situation I go into, I will deep dive in uh, very easily into an unhealthy place. Sure into my head or into isolation thinking that I'm doing an amazing thing because how well I understand it um, or or learning something, realizing that I've cut myself off from people or I have totally nerded out and unnecessarily, um, you know, gone too deep into something. And I would even say it it kind of feeds the self-reliance piece that then causes a five or since we're talking about you specifically, causes you to believe I can find the answer, I can find the solution, I can be smart smart enough, as opposed to leaning into trusting God, as opposed to saying like, you know what, even if I don't have the, you know, encyclopedia amount of knowledge, yeah. like God does and he knows all things and I trust him. So in 15 years of marriage, you know, how many times have you walked downstairs at two in the morning and I'm on my computer watching a YouTube video about how to whatever, Absolutely. or reading a tutorial. There've been times you've laughed and be like, what are you learning now? Yes. What are you, you know, what are you learning now? And 
there is something in a five. And if you're a five listening to this, you understand like there is this real sense of satisfaction when you feel like you get it, a light bulb moment. You understand it and you understand it better than everybody else. That's right. You can explain it better than everybody else. You have called the Apple Genius Bar before and been like, Oh, listen, I could do this job. Every five (laughs) knows what I'm talking about. You hate calling tech support because you know more than they do. Yeah. You've already researched it. You've already tried it. Like skip to step seven. I've already done one. It's already a dig at my ego that I'm even having to call you. So yeah, exactly. So (laughs) let me speak to, um, how to support and motivate, you know, married to a five, five, love a five, best friend. We actually, oddly enough, maybe it's because you kind of attract who you are. We have several friends. The husbands are fives. Yeah. And I always tell the wives the same thing. One of the best statements that you can get in the habit of saying is, that's so interesting. When they open their mouth and begin to talk, you probably are thinking, who cares? (laughs) Or you're probably thinking, why are you telling me this? But one of the best things you can say is, that's so interesting. Because fives want to be interesting, insightful, brilliant. Even as you were starting the podcast, you said, one of the most adorable guys... I could care less if you think I'm adorable. But if you would have said one of the most wise or wisdom <laughs> or interesting yeah. people, I'm like, oh, she thinks I'm interesting? Because that's such a motivation for me. I want people to think I know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And so if you have a friend or a spouse or something like that, it doesn't really mean that much to them. Obviously, I'm stereotyping a little bit, but it doesn't really mean that much to them for you to say like, you're so strong, you're so handsome, you're so whatever. I'm you're such about. a great protector. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. That's nice. Thank you. But when you think I'm interesting yeah, or when you make me feel like I'm smart or I know what I'm talking about, it's really huge. And then on the other side of that is giving them space. You know, we joke about like fives, you know, we say like, be with me, but leave me alone. (laughs) I want you in the house, but I I want, I kind of want my space. Don't feel like just because they're not around, they're, they're neglecting you. Right. That's not what they think they're doing. Now they actually may be doing that and and you got to speak to that in healthy places. But it's this sense of like, if you are in a relationship with a five, especially if you are, you know, a two, a seven, I don't know, whatever the other numbers are, they're highly relational. If you're in connection with a five or relationship with a five, it can feel very frustrating to feel like there's distance. That's good. The five in your relationship doesn't feel, feel the, distance. the distance. All of my life, people have had to say like, man, we haven't talked in a while. I'm like, really? Hey, we haven't hung out in a while. I'm like, really? That's not healthy. Sure. But that's reality. Sure. That if you have a five, you're going to have to take the initiative to pull them back in. And, and we have some very good friends, best friends in our life that like, they'll say, hey, let's get together this weekend. And I'm like, nah, don't even realize I've said no the last two or three times. And they've had to take the role in my life of saying, no, we're getting together. Yeah. Pick you up at seven. Yeah. We're hanging out. And, uh, and so if you're in a relationship with a five, you're probably, for better or for worse, you're probably going to have to put in a little effort to pull them back in. That's great advice. Okay. All right. So uh, sixes. Yes. Yeah, so the six is the loyalist. These are the types that are just really committed to community. They have a very strong sense of their group, whatever they feel is their tribe or their group, like just kind of needing to be together, needing to be kind of safe and secure. And that is their core motivation. That is their core desire. Their basic motivation is that they want things to be stable They need to know that they have support. They want to feel that sense of security. And so every decision they make, every action they take, 
um, and even most of the thoughts that they think, the feelings they have, it is stemming from this desire to be stable, secure, kind of taken care of, protected, that everything's going to be okay. And um, I just think that it manifests a whole lot of different ways, but you can kind of see how a six works to to have that stability. So if you're a six, you can be self-aware and know and put language to the feeling that you're always going to be motivated by security. So when you are in a relationship or you are starting or thinking about starting a new endeavor or whatever it is, you've got to know that you're probably the same way that I as a five would probably withdraw a little bit. I would even say the same way that as a five doesn't ever feel like they have enough information or answers or knowledge. A six is always going to struggle to feel like they have enough money in the bank, food in the pantry, uh, their community and people around them enough. Like they've got to just be aware. It's it's never going to feel like the right time to pull the trigger on something. So if you're feeling anxious, worried, afraid, you can begin to say to yourself, it's probably not as bad as I'm assuming it is, or it probably won't be as bad as I think it will be, or, uh, or whatever it is, because your tendency, motivation is security. And so if you don't know the Enneagram or you don't know yourself and you haven't learned these things, you can assume that like your worst fears are reality. But the re- but the, the truth is you can begin to coach yourself going into a situation to say, okay, you know, school's getting ready to start back with my kids. Their year's probably going to go better than I'm worried that it will. Absolutely. Or uh, I'm in a new relationship. They probably, uh, you know, are more trustworthy than I'm assuming that they are. Like you can know your tendency is to not trust or be afraid or be anxious or be worried. And I even say that this is the perfect place to remind that God will never leave you yeah. or forsake you. That God is faithful and 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 will supply every one of your needs. I mean, all of those anxieties can truly be kind of combated with um, scripture, with 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 biblical truth that reminds us. I'm fearful right here. I'm I'm being motivated by my need for security. But the most solid foundation that that we can have is our trust and our reliance on God. Yeah. Okay. So married to a five, best married friend. Married to a six. I'm sorry, six. Yeah. <laughs> married to a six, best friends with a six, have a six in your life, living with a six in your house. What what are some ways that you can uh, use this information to to help the relationship? Definitely reassurance. I mean, that is what they are looking for all of the time. So, so a supportive friend, spouse, partner, person in a six's life is just constantly reassuring. You've got this. You're capable. You make great decisions. You can trust your instincts. You, um, it, it's going to be okay. I'm here with you. Just any area that you can come in and kind of re- reaffirm, reassure, um, is is going to be a real place of comfort for them. And then challenging them on those areas of, wow, I really see you wrestling with this. Is this something you can give over to God? Is this something where you can, let's talk about how faithful God has been. Let's yeah. talk about every time that God has shown up. Let's talk about all of the ways that worst case scenarios did not play out. And let's lean into that. Um, and I just think that, that it's, it really has honestly a lot to do with helping them learn how to redirect their thinking. 
I've, I've enjoyed the few times in life that I've had the opportunity. I've enjoyed helping a six overcome fear. That's great. And that is their superpower when they're in a healthy place is bravery. Yeah. Courage, really being able to stand in the face of something that they are afraid of and they have learned how to process that and, and be bold. And it's a beautiful thing to witness. I've, you know, I've taken trips with people who are sixes who are getting on planes for the very first time. Love it. Or things, and it's it, it's it's fun to walk with them through that, um, and then maybe on the other side of that, just really bad advice or something that you should not do, maybe in a six, is like telling them like it's no big deal, get over it. Or, or something like that? Let them ask the questions that they need to ask. And that's okay. I think for a lot of sixes, interactions that I've had, listening to their feedback, listening to, you know, how they function, they, a lot of times, they just need to get that narrative out of their head. They just need to, to have a, a good sounding board. They just need to say, well, have we thought about this? Well, what about this scenario? And what? And we can't, the rest of us, all, all of us who are in relationships with sixes, like we can't be threatened by that. Right. That is how God wired them. And quite frankly, you know, they're probably keeping the rest of us alive. <laughs> right. So it's okay. It has to be safe and okay for them to ask those questions. But then the next step is for us to reassure them, hey, we talked through this. We, we looked at all the angles. We processed all the possibilities. Like let's stand firm on our decision and let's move forward in faith and know that God's, God's got us. So if you have a six in your life, it, it wouldn't be the worst idea in the world if you're thinking through something to say like, what potential problems do you see with this? It's a brilliant idea. What, what could go wrong? Yeah. And then, and use that information. All right. So we have three more sevens, eights, and nines. Let's talk about sevens. All right. Sevens are the optimists, the enthusiasts. Okay. These are kind of um, the number, the type that, that are motivated and listen, I'm, I'm well acquainted with this. I'm a seven. We are motivated. Our core desire is to avoid pain and sadness. And that is, this is a great example of how the Enneagram has impacted me personally because I would have never had that statement. I would have never been able to articulate that. I wouldn't have known that about myself. But man, since understanding more about the wisdom of the Enneagram, I mean, this has just opened up wide I mean like shed so much light on um, what decisions I make why I make them how I make them and again it was very much a subconscious thing but now I see it play out all of the time we want to avoid same you know sadness and pain um, and we want to be stimulated and experience you know pleasure and it is also very kind of closely related to that four, um, motivation that we talked about, about wanting satisfaction, wanting, uh, maybe for a four, it's significance, but for a seven, it's, I, I want to be satisfied, but it's a little bit slippery. Like you said, fool's gold, you know, with the four, the, the truth, the hard truth that a seven has to face is no experience is going to be as satisfying as you played it out in your mind. Yeah. No relationship is going to be as fulfilling as you think or want it to be. No new endeavor is going to play out and pay, you know, pay off or, or be the excitement that you want it to be. And um, I can look back on my life and see so many times where I was moving the pieces to try and have maybe this like, explosive once in a lifetime epic over the top experience and when sevens are not healthy when they're when they're struggling the most 
everything becomes a disappointment. Yeah. Everything leads into a discouragement, a letdown. And so then they're revving up their engines to try and, and get the next best thing. And it's just a, it's, it's a bucket with a whole bunch of holes and you're just dumping water into it all the time and wondering why you're not fulfilled. So if you're listening to this and you're a seven, you can use this knowledge to anticipate some of your behavior. Because there's no doubt that like there's probably a hard conversation you're avoiding because in your subconscious, you're saying that's going to be painful. That's not going to be pleasant or a task that you're not going to do. I remember early on in our marriage, uh, we were behind on student loan payments. And and when I had asked you about it, I was like, have you called them? And you were like, no. And like we had taken we had delayed because in your mind, I, I was not aware of some of the stuff that's going on. And in your mind, it was like. I don't want to pick up the phone and call like that's going to be awful. And so there's probably something if you're a seven that you got to know that like I'm going to have to muscle through or like totally psych myself up to take a step if that step is moving me towards something unpleasant, not not amazing. Um, and And just knowing that like disappointment is probably going to be something that you feel but it's not always reality. Um, people are not trying to disappoint you. Experiences are not trying to disappoint you. It's just that you always have rose-colored glasses on, and and that can be amazing in so many ways because you are a spark. You are a firework. You, everything you touch gets better, but you also tend to potentially avoid things that are not amazing. Was that accurate? A hundred percent accurate. So with that being the case, what are the best ways to help support a seven? I'm going to let you answer this one since I've answered all the other ones. I think you can speak to it maybe even more than I can. Yeah, I mean, these may be a little too specific for our relationship, but I would say the the biggest thing I've learned over 15 years is just don't try to keep them caged. That's right. Not literally. There's no cage in our house, but (laughs) like don't try to tame them. Like don't try to keep them boxed in their superpower is their ability to to just make things amazing they make every room they walk into brighter they make every um thing that they do so like so what's an example of caging a seven what is an example of caging a seven well again specific to us i'm a five so i'm there's going to be a tendency for me to like separate calm down you know that that those kind of things but the other sevens in our life i would say like not wanting you to start a new thing because maybe the old thing's not finished yet or we haven't tied off or dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, but like your ability to launch or start anything with enthusiasm is a superpower. Yeah. So I I would say like, and and we're, we're pastors. And so, you know, one of the things I've realized is allowing you to be at the beginning of a new endeavor, but then giving you an exit quickly into the endeavor because you're you you've probably either gotten bored or like you've it, the the excitement of the new has worn off. Yeah. So so early, I would say early on in our relationship, I would be frustrated that like eight months in, you're not as excited about it as you were one month in. Sure. And so I've learned like let you be a one two three month starter, and then hand it off to somebody who loves the. Yeah. monotony of it yeah. or the or the day-to-day of it yeah. and then go start something new yeah. go do something else and I think seven sometimes get a bad reputation of not finishing or following through and of course like that's a stereotype for a reason but 
I've tried to tell myself, I don't need you to follow through. I need you to help this be amazing at the start and then I'll find somebody to follow through. Yeah, that's good. And so if you're married to a seven or, or in yeah. you have a seven in your life or on your team, like yeah. let them tap into like they are light the fuse and let them get that thing started with tons of enthusiasm. That's exactly right. And I think also having the wisdom, if you're again, a trusting relationship, whether that's really close, intimate friendship or, you know, marriage or whatever the case may be, helping a seven to decipher, hey, this is definitely something that like we can kind of move on and be okay. But when there are things, you use the student loan example, there have been, you know, other instances like you, you need to hold me accountable, but you don't have to hold me accountable for maybe all of the things that you thought were crucial or critical Uh, yeah and the accountability piece is huge because maybe early on I was too critical or maybe like slapped your hand too much again not literally (laughs) but and that just makes you feel even worse and demotivated so So I think it's just like celebrating the ability to be amazing like if you have a seven in your life let them plan the baby shower yeah if you have a seven in your life let them have a huge hand in the vacation yeah you know if you have a seven in your life let them be the spark and the sunshine to like to get it going. And so specifically in a leadership role for us, you know, I've tried to find and identify all the sevens and they're always going to be my starters. Yeah. And then I'm stereotyping here, but then I'm going to bring like ones yeah. or nines Even around threes, around know? a seven to keep it going. Get it done. But I don't need ones and nines to be my starters yeah. because I need a great first impression. I need enthusiasm and energy yeah. to, to get this thing going. Yeah. That's so good. Can, can I speak to one more thing? Of course. This is marriage counseling for us. It's so good. When we, one of the things that took us too long to identify in our relationship. And if you're married to a seven uh, and, and you, or you are a seven in a relationship, this is gold advice I'm about to give you. So, so write this down. Give the other person permission. If you're the seven, give the other person permission to not be as energetic and excited as you are. Every wedding reception we went to, you wanted to stay until midnight. I wanted to leave at 8 p.m. Right. Every time we went to a friend's house, we would have the talk in the car and I would say, hey, let's don't stay too long. That is so true. And every time I would look at you and kind of give you the eyes like, hey, let's go. You would roll your eyes because you're like, it's just getting started. It's just getting exciting. And so if you are in a relationship with a seven, know that they're going to want to max out every opportunity and every endeavor. And if you are the seven, know that the people that are around you, if they're not a seven, they don't want to stay. They don't want to shut the party down. Right. You know, they don't want to go sightsee every minute of vacation. And so we've had to give each other permission. Like we've driven separate to things. We actually heard this on another podcast with some other people that are, you know, a seven and a four in a relationship. I think it was, I can't remember seven and five maybe, but like, it's okay to drive separate to certain events. That's right. I can't drag you out of every party early, but you can't make me stay at every party late. For sure. Um, When we go on vacation, like I've started going to a coffee shop an hour in the morning before the day gets going. Cause I just need a little me time. Yeah. <laughs> I just need to check my email. I need I to great. like do something productive and then we can go we can go do that. So that's very personal to our relationship, but I think it's gold if you are the 7 or you're married to a 7. I love it. All right, let's talk 8s. Okay, so 8s are the challenger, sometimes also called um they they just do a lot of really productive, amazing good things. And so their core desire 
is um, protection. Like they want to look out for people who are maybe um, vulnerable because they themselves at some time, at some point have felt vulnerable. And so they have just this real kind of call to action for injustice, for people being mistreated. Like they do not want anyone who might be weak to be hurt because they themselves do not want to be vulnerable or weak. Um, and so they, they actually are the highest energy of the entire Enneagram of all nine types. Um, and I tend to say, you know, they're either setting the world on fire or they're setting the world on fire. Right. The, when you say the, 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 the most energy, I think that can be misleading to people because it would be easy to think that, that sevens have the most energy, but that energy for an eight displays itself differently. That's right. An eight can take on just about anything, be impassioned about anything, um, really kind of go. A seven loses their energy when they lose interest yeah. or when they, you know, it can kind of be, or if something gets too heavy or too, you know, uncomfortable, um, eights can kind of even go harder than a seven. Um, threes are also high energy, but, uh, anyway, the point being that an eight can, th these are going to be people like Martin Luther King Jr. You know, um, I, I love, um, Scott Harris who does charity water. Like he's an eight. I mean, they, they just, they want to impact. They want to make a difference. They want to really, um, know that all that they are doing and contributing is, is, a big deal and a real self-belief that if they could get their hands on it they could do something amazing with it and use it in a way so if you're an eight and you're listening to this you can use this information to be aware of what makes you tick and what's going on in your head and your heart and i would say to you that like you can know that when you every situation you walk into you are going to be tempted to think i need to be in charge of this oh yes i need to take over oh yes this could be so much better you know whether it's your kids pta or a you know a a uh, school play or like you, you, anything you walk into uh your boss at your job or you know whatever it is you think well if i could take this over we would dominate Absolutely. we could do so much better and and so you could, you've got to know that like it's okay for me to show up and not take over. In fact, I think that would be a really healthy practice for an eight who can be aware of that tendency. Because you definitely get over obligated. Oh. The, re the reason you have to say to yourself, oh, yes. it's okay for me to go to my kid's Valentine's party and it not be as good as it could have been, but me not signing up to lead the party next time is because I don't have time to lead the party. It's just okay that it was an okay party. You know what I mean? Like knowing that I don't have to take over in every situation. So big. And I think for an eight, ultimately, when they learn that Christ died for them and is, is their strength, is their protection, and that he's made stronger in their weakness, uh, that is a the most beautiful place for an eight to be uh, because again, just like a, a five has that temptation for self-reliance. Oh man. An eight is convinced that they are Superman, Superwoman. Like you, I, I got this. What back up? Watch, watch, I me, don't need watch you. me go. Watch me go. I want you. An eight would say like, I want you to join my team, but if you don't, I don't need you. Yeah. We'll do it. Yeah. I can, I can run through this wall together. So if you're married to an eight, uh, have a eight in your life, live with an eight, whatever it is, um, what are some ways that you can use this information to make the relationship better? Help them tap into what is the area, just like a seven, where does your energy need to be? 
I know you have energy for all of these things, but let's get, let's, let's kind of hone in. Where do you need to put your energy? Where do you feel, I would use the terminology, where do you feel called or where do you feel God leading you? But even if that is not in, you know, kind of your, your normal tendency to say like, let's not put our energy everywhere. Let's, let's rein Mm -hmm. it in. I think that's a really good Um, healthy relationship, but then also giving them opportunities to like, um, not have to be passionate about it, uh, not have to be on, not have to be worked up about something. So creating safe places for them is just really critical. Safe places for them to be vulnerable and not feel weak. Safe places for them to uh, relax and chill without having to be worked up about something. Providing a place for them to not have to change the world. That's exactly right. I mean, that is so, so crucial. We joke because I love eights. Like, I work with a lot of eights for whatever reason. They're attracted to me. I'm attracted to them as far as a working relationship. And I think one of the biggest things I've noticed is that your motivation for them when you're either asking them to join you in an endeavor or you are whatever it is you're trying to get them to do what not manipulating but motivation has to be that this will this will make a big difference yes this is going to really make a difference in someone's life and so um you know in my relationship with eights we're going to make a difference together and they really respect I'm thinking of lots of eights right now. They really respect a leader that stands up to them because very few people in life stand up to them. I think that cannot be said enough. And so not not a jerk, not demeaning, but just the ability to have a hard conversation and just just deal with facts and deal with truth and and say what it is. And um, they they really respect that. So much so... That if you earn the trust of an eight, you have earned an ally, like a, a, a WWF tag team partner, because they know they can trust you and they know you're going to always shoot straight with them and y'all are going to change the world together. Um, that has been huge in my relationships with eights. So we got one more number. Let's talk about nines. So nines who are the peacemakers, we know that they are great mediators and they are really amazing at having all of the vantage points they can see perspectives from all of the other uh, types and and really are able to empathize and, and and care for people because of that but their gift to the rest of us is just you know harmony and and, and keeping peace but their core desire is related to that their their core desire their basic motivation is peace, internal peace, external peace, just peace, all around peace. They want the stability of that peace and that calm. So if you're a nine and you're listening to this, you can use this information to know your tendency in thinking or acting or behavior that like you, you're going to walk into a situation and you're going to tend to not speak up or not voice your opinion or not be authoritative or not take the lead or whatever it is. And so uh, you can know that like that is at a subconscious level what I'm going to first think to do or try to do and then use that information to to behave or change your actions or behavior in a way so that maybe you don't end up feeling overlooked, neglected, forgotten, unheard, 
Uh, but so many times it's self-sabotaging in my relationships with the nines. It's self-sabotaging that they don't speak up and then feel not heard. I think the same way that a five can feel like they're being healthy when they get isolated in this endeavor to seek knowledge, to learn more, to, you know, take something apart and put it back together again. Like while that process is happening, a five can feel like all of the right things are being checked off. Mm -hmm. Okay. In that same way, a nine can feel like as long as no one is aggravated as long as things are calm, as long as, as long as, as long as, and it feels very healthy for them. But what has happened sometimes, hear me out, sometimes in that process of just don't rock the boat, we get stagnant, Yeah, we don't grow, we don't make an impact, we don't realize all of the things that we have sacrificed and cut out in the name of peace and calm and stability. Would it be fair to say to two sevens and nines that conflict is not always a bad thing? A hundred percent. Because those three numbers tend to maybe withdraw or pull away from conflict, either out of a desire not to hurt to the maintain relationship, it, yes. have pain, not pain, or not have peace. That's right. right. And so if you're listening to this and you're a nine, like we're not, no one loves conflict. No one likes conflict. But there may be times where you have to voice an opinion that feels uncomfortable to do that because you're worried about losing peace or harmony or something like that. If a nine can begin to value connection over peace and stability, Suzanne Stabile, she says it like this, risking conflict for connection. That if a nine... That's good. Say that again. Risking conflict for connection. If a nine can get to that place mentally and understand, you know... I will, I will self-efface, I will shrink back, I will even disconnect or withdraw or lose relationships in order to maintain my internal peace. Like when they can learn to maybe even override that desire just a little bit, um, they will see just like a five, like we talked about. Fives have to be aware I'm sacrificing relationship and community and connection for the sake of this other thing. And then learning to walk in balance of that. So a very practical example of this is that a nine could very easily feel taken advantage of, but never say anything. Absolutely. Thinking that not saying anything is best for the relationship, but the whole time resenting feeling taken advantage of. And in the long run, you don't have the peace that you thought that you were gaining yeah. because now you have this internal angst of, Oh no, do they not like me? Did I say the wrong thing? What's going on? How's it? And there's this turmoil, which is the exact opposite of what you were hoping for. And I would say also, you know, just the reminder that that Christ, that Jesus provides peace even amidst a storm. So if a nine can start to learn and 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 rely on, you know, Jesus as the Prince of Peace, as opposed to I have to do this and this and this and this in order to maintain the status quo. Um, like Jesus can show up and bring peace even when things are chaotic, even when things are stormy, it can take that pressure, that burden off of them and really lead to some beautiful things. So what would you say you're married to a nine, nine in your life, best friends, a nine. What are some ways you can use this information to improve the relationship? I would say number one, always give them a heads up if you're going to be bringing up a big conversation or you need them to weigh in on a big decision, something like that. I'm not talking about necessarily like 
what do you want for dinner tonight? Although even for a nine, sometimes that can feel like a personal attack. But know? like, but if you come, but, if you walk through the door of your house one day, and you're like, hey, I think we should move. Whoa. I mean, whoa, that cannot, we haven't ever talked about yeah, that. that can't, you have to give a nine a heads up. Um, and lots of time to process and they are going to come around and then you have to hold them accountable for voicing their opinion. They have a superpower to see other points of view. Yes. And so if you will give them time, plant the seed of a thought or an idea or suggestion, they'll come back to you in four days or 14 days and give you gold wisdom and advice. Huge. But you got it. But if you put them on the spot, they're not going to speak up or they don't even really know what they would say. Um, to speak up. Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, you're good. It's just the, uh, the the reminder that for the nines that you love and that you're in close relationship with, you know, just keeping the calm, keeping the peace, recognizing what's happening to them when things are chaotic or stressful, um, not at peace, you know, and, and having sympathy for that, but just always inviting them to the table, to the conversation, to voice their opinions, you know, reminding them and, and valuing, validating, like you, you have so much to offer. I want to make sure that you speak up right here at your pace and however you feel comfortable. But I just want you to know, like, I would love to hear from you. One thing, I, one last thing I would say about relationships with a nine is, is that don't try to read their body language or read their facial expressions. Sometimes their lack of enthusiasm can be interpreted as they hate it. They're against it. They don't like me They whatever. They're just usually like thinking or processing or, you know, needing time or whatever. And I know early on with a lot of nines in relationships with me, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, I pitched this awesome idea that I had. I mean, they hated it. And it's not that they hated it. They just were thinking about it. And on the spot, they didn't have this massive enthusiasm. So if I pitch an idea to a seven, you know, they're like, that's amazing. You know, a one looks at it and says, well, here's what we need to do to make that right. You know, and you can go on through all the numbers. A nine, a lot of times is like, okay, I've heard what you have to say. I need a little time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. I want to kind of bring this all together with what we've been talking about and what you preached on this past Sunday with breaking the cycle, specifically as it relates to behavior. And I, I love that we had a chance to unpack the specific motivations for each type, because obviously that's going to speak to our behavior, our actions, and, and why we do what we do. But where I just feel like the Enneagram is so useful, okay, as it relates to behavior, is not to say Here's the predetermined outcome of what you're going to do. What the Enneagram does is it awakens us. It opens our eyes to say, here's probably how you're going to feel like you naturally want to behave. And you said in your sermon Sunday, like we get to choose who we want to become, mm -hmm. especially as it pertains to who we feel like God is leading us to become. So for me, and I hope for, for other people who are, who are starting to embrace the Enneagram as a place of health, as a place of, in a way of breaking cycles, I now know, and I am very aware of what motivates me and how that might influence my behavior. But listen, here's what's awesome. I have the ability because I'm awakened to it, because I'm aware of it. I now have the ability to say, is that what I want to do? Is that how, instead of feeling like I am subject to my personality, 
my what used to be un, you know subconscious desires things like that i can now look at my life my behaviors and i can make choices even at times to assert myself a little bit more intentionally instead of feeling uh just taken away with my desires. Yeah, I would say it like this. As a five, I don't have to be withdrawn. I just have to, I can choose to be social. I can choose to be connected in people's lives. I just have to know that my first inclination is going to be to be withdrawn. And and I can choose, but I, that's what I'm fighting against. And every other number is fighting against a different motivation or a different inclination. But that doesn't mean I don't have a choice. It means that's what I know I'm fighting against in order to be the person that I want to be. I don't ever want people to hear us talking about the Enneagram and feel like it boxes them in. I want it to awaken them, open their eyes, and actually empower them more to say, oh, I see it now. And because I see it now, I have the ability to redirect when I need to and when it is necessary and when it is going to serve the purpose of me being the healthiest possible version of, of who God created me to be. That's my hope. Okay, so this has been great and insightful and helpful, I hope, for you. Um, and, uh, you know, our goal is really just to help you be the healthiest version of the way that God made you to be. So thank you. And we're going to come back with one more podcast next week. Uh, I've been teasing wings forever. I don't know why we, we kept saying wings and never got to them. So we're going to come back next week. We'll talk about wings and we'll close out this series of podcasts. But thanks for listening today.